Uh, we are delighted that you uh, are here today, and, uh, and I, this is probably one of our favorite times as a church, just kind of be able to uh, say hello to folks. You know, we, in summer, uh, it's kind of, uh, we have some people that are out of town a lot on vacations and everything, so when people kind of come back in town and be able to kind of get a catch up on what's going on in, uh, in their lives. And uh, if this is your first time guest, uh, first time here today, uh, my name is Frank Bennett, and I get the awesome privilege um, of being the lead pastor here at Lake Point Church. There are many days that I have not a clue what I'm doing, but that's okay because we've, uh, God has surrounded me with a lot of incredible uh, people, incredibly talented people, uh, and people with knowledge and skills and wisdom. And also, God has just given me strength, and, uh, and it just means that I have to pray a lot, which is not a bad thing, right? And so I don't do this on my own strength. And we are um, in the beginning, or actually right in the middle of a series called Do I Matter? Do I Matter? And I don't know if you have ever asked yourself that question. It's like, do I matter? Do I matter a hill of beans? That's kind of an old saying people use. You don't matter a hill of beans. I have no idea what that means, but I've heard it many times. And so you may think, well, do I even matter to this world? What kind of... Um, what kind of impact can I make on this earth? Why am I here? Those are questions that if you have never asked yourself, you probably will. I know there's a lot of students in here uh, this morning, and you've never asked yourself that question. You will eventually as you uh, get older. But in our first week, we talked about why we matter to God. And we matter to God simply because, and it's all over Scripture. You read the Bible, um, even just small sections are cover to cover. You can uh, hear God's love for you, and you can see it jump out on the pages of how God loved you so much that he sent his one and only son to die for you because you and I, we are born into sin. If you've ever told a lie, we all have, uh, that right there is sin. It's disobedience, and we are not able to wash away our own sins. We are not to be able to, ha- we cannot handle all of the weight of our own sin and our own shame. So we have to give it away, pass it away to someone who can, and his name is Jesus Christ, who came, died on the cross, and God laid every sin and shame on him. And so Jesus, Jesus was the proof of God's love and why you matter to God. In our second week, we, uh, we talked about why we uh, matter to a greater purpose. And so we, there is a greater purpose to our lives than just go, getting up, going to work, or going to school, or students in the summer, get, you know, staying up real late, sleeping until noon, two o'clock, you know. And so we, and teachers, I, I know there's teachers out here, my former educator, so we like those opportunities to sleep in as well, teachers. Um, but know this, that you and I, we matter to a greater purpose. We are saved for something. We're, uh, for, before we get saved for something, we are saved from something. That is death. We are saved from eternal death because of our sin. We are saved by grace. By grace, no other religion in the world has grace in it. It's all based upon works. And so that is what Christianity is about, the grace of God. So we are saved by grace through our faith, through our faith. None of us in this room has, has seen Jesus face to face. None of us in this room were at the cross of Jesus as he died for our sins. None of us. But we have faith. Obviously, it's written in God's word, but we can, 
we, once we understand it and God shows his love to us and we turn our hearts toward him, we can feel it. It's faith. So we are saved by grace through our faith. And we are saved for an incredible plan. And that's kind of what we talked about last week. God has an amazing plan for your life. Paul, who wrote the book of Ephesians, which this series uh, is a walk through the book of Ephesians, Paul was a chief among all sinners. He, he was someone who put Christians to prison because of their faith. And that God turned his life around. And if there's anyone who would be ashamed to join in on God's plan, it would be Paul because of his past. But here's the deal. Paul did not allow his past to disqualify or discredit him from God's plan. And that is the message we talked about last week and a message that we all need to hear because there are some in this room who think, you know what? I'll be, I'll be a sort of a silent little Christian. I'll believe in God. I'll read my Bible. You know, I won't, I won't cuss as much. And, you know, I'll watch the things I say or the things I do, people I hang out with. But there's really, I really don't feel like I could be a part of God's plan. God's plan because of my past. I don't really don't think God can use me because of my past. I wouldn't use me if I knew what all the things that I did. And there are some people in this room that you could be sitting here thinking those things. I cannot be used by God because of my past. What God showed by the life of Paul, Saul, to turn to Paul, that you can be used by God. By his great, incredible plan. And that doesn't mean you have to go plant a church or, you know, whatever. You could be used by God at your workplace, students at your school, on your, uh, on your team, in your neighborhood, in your family. You can be a part of God's plan. God puts you right where you are for a specific purpose. And what we learned last week is God's plan is bigger than your past. God's plan for your life is bigger than your past. And some of you need to take that statement home and just let that marinate a little bit. Put that in the mental crock pot and allow that to just you understand that God's plan for your life is bigger than your past. Well, this week, as we answer the question, do I matter? We're going to be talking about that you and I, we matter to the church. We matter to the church. And as we're going to be diving in into Ephesians chapter 4, if you want to get your copy of God's Word, you could do that. We're going to be turning into a couple other uh, passages of Scripture, and uh, we also will have those on the screen behind me. But we matter to the church. Now, the church is known as the bride of Christ. We just got through singing a song about that, okay? Uh, we're, we, the church is a bride waiting for her groom. Jesus is coming soon. And so we, the church, for those who have accepted Christ as Savior, you are part of the bride of Christ. This weekend, my wife and I are celebrating our anniversary of 22 years of marriage. Isn't that awesome? I know you're thinking, wow, Suzanne must have a lot of patience. Yes, she does. She's, she's got lots of patience. But I remember, I remember our, our, our wedding day. I remember almost as if it were yesterday, the way she looked 
the expression on her face. And it was a good expression. It wasn't was an, an expression of, why am I doing this? It was an expression of just joy. You know, and, 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 and as she was walking down and looking at me, I almost had to like, me? Me? She, she has joy because she is about to be united in holy matrimony to me. And I remember everything about that particular marriage ceremony. And one thing I do understand and I do remember is that this, and this is like for every wedding and it should be, the bride is what this wedding is all about. Now, yeah, she's getting married to a groom, but y'all, let's face it. It's about the bride, right? It's about the bride. Everything is about the bride. And so we try to do everything we can to make sure the bride has everything she needs, that the bride is taken care of, that the bride uh, has everything that she needs to be beautiful, to be elegant, because she is making an amazing, important step in her life. And so we do everything we can to make sure that the bride is the star of the show. <laughs> it's the star of the show. In, in, uh, in Genesis in chapter 2, verse 23 through 24, uh, we see this scripture uh, come up in, uh, in lots of wedding ceremonies. And it just simply says this. The man said, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to be his wife to become one flesh. So this right here, this idea of man and woman coming together, be united to become one flesh, is the central core concept of love through marriage. And it's the same concept that we as believers who are part of the bride of Christ that we experience as well. Because as the bride of Christ, we are united to Jesus Christ. And so we, um, we want to do everything we can to, to make the bride beautiful. We want to do everything we can to make the, the bride ready. Because we don't know when Jesus is coming. We just hope and pray he's coming soon. And the way the world's looking, I'm good for Jesus to come right now. I'd love to be in church when Jesus is coming, when Jesus comes back for us. But we do know that he is coming back. It's written all over scripture. Well, as we go through Ephesians chapter 4, uh, there's some similarities as we find uh, about the bride and about uh, the, the marriage uh, ceremony and the marriage covenant between a man and woman. In Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to look at verses um, one through six. So Ephesians chapter four, one through six, it says, as a prisoner for the Lord, and this is Paul writing, okay? Paul, when he says, I'm a prisoner for the Lord, he literally means that. He is in jail writing this letter, okay? So as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Now, let me just stop right there. I want to remind you that Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus, Okay, it, it, it is a church that he helped plant, and this is a church that is made up 
of mostly Gentiles, people who are non-Jews, who come to faith in Jesus Christ. So he says to them, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. He pretty much covers it all. <laughs> he covers it all, and he talks about how we are one. In fact, in, the, in that passage of Scripture, we see him say the word one seven times uh, throughout that. So unity is very, very important. And so there's two areas of the church and the bride that we're going to mention this morning. And one is unity and one is maturity. One is unity and one is maturity. And you matter to the church when it comes to unity and when it comes with maturity. So how can, um, how can the church be unified? So your number one, your life should match your calling. Your life should match your calling. Using the example of, of, of my marriage with my wife, since it's our anniversary weekend, I can have freedom to do that. And so using the example of our marriage, I will do everything I can to show myself worthy of being married to Suzanne Bennett, the elegant, the beautiful Suzanne Bennett. I would do everything I can because when people see Suzanne, if they don't ever, if they've never met me before, if they see my wife and they meet and they talk with her and they say, wow, whoever's married to her must really be an amazing man. I mean, that's a lot to live up to. Really? And so I have to do everything I can to live my life worthy to be married to Suzanne Bennett. Because I don't want to live a life where I'm, you know, I'm straying from here to there. I'm, I'm out, you know, with the guys hanging around with, you know, with other women or talking to other women or those kinds of things or treating her in a bad way. I want to do everything I can to show my life worthy to be married to Suzanne. And so that is what is he is. That's what Paul is saying just in verse one. He says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received, the calling of being a part of the bride of Christ, the calling of being a Christian, a Christ follower. Live your life worthy of that. The Christians who don't act like Christians are like a deadbeat husband. Christians who don't act like Christians are like a deadbeat husband who don't treat their, their spouses with love and, and respect. And so Paul is saying, look, first and foremost, before I get into this unity and this maturity thing, you've got you to act like, like you're a Christian. And it comes from the inside out, not from the outside in. Do you know that Christianity is the only religion where you start from the inside and then you move out? Every other religion is all about from the outward side in. It's all about making, uh, doing good things, doing good works, doing all of this ritualistic things and hoping that it that comes inside and changes you on the inside when all reality, Christianity, is really about giving God our heart. He comes from the inside out, and the things that we do on the outside are because of what's on the inside. 
That's huge for us to understand that. So we need to, we need to live a life worthy to be called Christians. Well, what are some things that we can do to have a worthy life? What are some of the attributes or qualities of this worthy life that he talks about? Well, he talks about there in verse 2, humility. We have three areas. We have humility, we have gentleness, and we have patience. You know, in a marriage situation, one of the things that's really, really difficult to do in a marriage is to admit you're wrong or you've made a mistake. That's hard, and especially for guys. It's difficult when, when you know, man, I messed up, or you know that you were in the wrong or that you made a mistake, it is difficult to concede to that. It is difficult to, to admit that. Well, gentlemen and ladies, if we're, if we're in a point in our marriage where, where we don't want to admit when we're wrong or admit we've made a mistake, then humility goes out the window and pride comes in. And pride is the very thing that separates a husband and a wife. Same thing with, with, with being a Christian. Humility. Humility. You know, as Christians, sometimes we, if, we, if we mess up, if we don't confess our sins, if we know that we, we've done wrong, whether it's in our marriage or in our relationships with others or how we, de- we deal with people, and we don't come face to face with that, we don't tell people, you know, I- I'm sorry. I apologize for that. I confess that to you. I need you to please forgive me for that. Y'all, that, is, that, that takes a lot of humility. But that's what Paul's saying. How do we live a life worthy? We, we approach it in humility. Another one is gentleness. Gentleness. You know, I, I, I make it a point, and I've never done this. Thank you, God. But I've, I've never yelled, screamed at my beautiful bride. I've never raised my hand to hit her. Why? Because I love her. Because I love her. Because if I were to do those things, it shows that I don't love her from the inside. Remember, it starts on the inside. My actions on the outside is a reflection of what's on the inside. And so we need to approach with one another with gentleness, just like a husband and a wife should approach one another with gentleness, with how we talk. And how we treat one another. And that's the same way with the church, with the bride of Christ. We, all of us, need to make sure that we're not gossiping one another, about one another. That we're, we're not putting each other down. We're not ignoring one another. When, when someone stumbles, we don't talk about them. We pray for them hard. We lift them up. And it's all about being gentle. Being gentle with the bride, you are part of the bride. And, and, and even though you're part of the bride, you treat the bride with gentleness. So, so we have humility and we have gentleness. We also have patience. He talks about that in verse 2 as well. Patience. I know, you know, in marriage, we have to have patience all the time. Susanna's always patient with me, always. <laughs> when I feel like I can fit, you know, this amount of things in this amount of time and I go over, she is, she is gracious and patient with me 
And now if I continue to do it over and over and over again, she'll say, hey, honey, why don't we, uh, why don't we work on that? <laughs> but she's very patient with me. You know, some of you guys might be married to women that you, had to, you have to wait for them and wait and wait and wait for them to get ready, for them to do whatever. You got, you got to patience while you wait, or you have to patience while they try to, be, try to become that wife that, that God uh, is, is developing her to be, okay? Uh, it could be, you know, she's burning the dinner again. Just be patient. Go out to dinner. It's okay. You know, just clean off the dishes, put it in the sink. It's okay. We're going out to dinner. I'm going to treat you, okay? Be, have patience. When your wife doesn't understand something, ladies, when your husband doesn't understand something, have patience, with them, and it's a it's the same thing that it goes for the bride of Christ. We are to uh, have patience one another with one another, especially with new believers. With new believers, or believers who have been out of fellowship with the church. You know, as a church plant, we oftentimes uh, get people who are either new believers or who are just kind of coming back uh, to to church and everything. We've got to be patient with one another. Uh, you know, not all, not every believer is going to dive right in and start serving. We need to be patient with that, with one another. Um, there could be some some new believers who are uh, uh, who are, are, are maybe have a, a foul mouth uh, every once in a while. Maybe you, you hear a word that slips out, and they're like, "Oh well." You know, you got to have patience with them as God is working on them, and they're not going to be perfect as none of us are perfect. And so we've got to be patient with one another. So Paul is basically saying that in order to live a life worthy of the calling, we need to have humility, gentleness, and patience. And so that right there is a way that we can build unity within the bride of Christ. In verse 3 through 6, it talks about um, being unified and just like unified under one faith, under one God, just like my wife, I'm unified with my wife with one woman. I do not have other women in my life, okay? And I don't want other women in my life. I want Suzanne. That's it, period. And so I am united to one woman, just like you and I are united under one faith, under one God. So in verse 3 through 6, as we read this earlier, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, through the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. And so it's all about having that one faith. So we proclaim one faith. We don't have several gods. So we need to live our life like we're not depending on our own uh, abilities. We're, you know, we're, we don't serve ourselves. We serve the Lord. We serve God. And so we need to live our life like God is the one true God in our life. So as, as we talked about unity in the first uh, few verses of that, he goes on to talk about maturity. And we see this in marriage. As, as marriage moves on to maturity, we, uh, we see great things happening in, uh, in our relationships. But can I tell you something? And this is huge. 
Before you can have maturity, you have to have unity. Before you can have maturity, you have to have unity. If you want to have maturity in your marriage, you have to be unified on all fronts. It doesn't mean you never disagree. You agree to disagree. But you don't let some of those things get in the way of your unity. You fight for your unity. You protect that unity. I mean, our kids all the time, I mean, they know how to play the system. We got smart kids. Got six of them in the house. They play that system. You know, they'll go, they'll go to um, mom and ask something, and she'll say no, and then they'll go to me and ask sort of the same question but in a different way. And I'll be like, did you ask mom? They say no. They didn't ask that same question. So talking later, you know, we understand what they're doing. We, we're catching on to their game. Okay? But so there are things like little children who are trying to bring disunity in your marriage, in your life. And I want you to think that this, this series about marriage, I'm, I'm just using this as an example, as an analogy, because when we walk in faith in Jesus Christ with one God, one faith, one baptism, there's going to be people in our world who are going to try to separate you. There are people who are believers in Jesus Christ, and because of some little disagreement or because no one admitted they were wrong or because no one had humility in a certain situation, you know, and no one was patient. Maybe somebody was not gentle. They left the church. They're gone for years and years to come, and their life is affected by that. When they finally come back, that's what God wants them. That's where God wants them to be, part of the church. And so when, when things like um, things happen within the bride to, to cause disunity, we separate ourselves. And so there has to be unity. Fight for it. Protect it with everything you have in the church. And then we will grow in maturity. I love where, we're, where we are as a church. I, I, I literally, I was thinking of this last week. I was driving from point A to point B. And I was just thinking, had the radio off, and I was just thanking God just for, you know, all the things he's given to me and to our family and then our church. And then I started to think about this Lake Point Church. And this is what I was thinking. This came to my heart that, you know, I love where we are right now as a church because we are starting to see some maturity happening. Why? Because we're unified. Because we're unified. There's not a lot of any that I know of, of quarrels, of fighting, of disagreements. We are unified as a bride of Christ, as a body here at Lake Point Church. And because of that, the effects is that we are now starting to see some maturity happening with people going in small groups, people uh, serving, people giving their tithes to the Lord. We're seeing that because all of those are outward signs of what is happening inside of maturity. Why? Because we are unified. Now, one reason why we're unified is because we pray. I pray for unity all the time. Not just me, there are others. People who, who are on our prayer team, 
they pray. Betty Jo Bishop, who leads our prayer team, she sends out a prayer through email, and she, she encourages people to pray specifically for our church. If you want to be a part of that prayer list, go to Connection Point and say, I want, to, I want to receive that email. She'll give it to you. But we are unified because of the prayers of the saints. And so we have to be uni- you have to be, have unity before we can have maturity. So what does maturity look like in, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7 through 13? 7 through 13, it says, But to each one of us grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, When he ascended on high, that is Jesus, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. Verse 9, What does he ascended mean? Except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions. He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. Verse 11. So Christ, so Jesus himself, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So he talks about these different roles. So to be apostles, so to be prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers. And we could, we could have a whole other sermon just on that verse and what those roles mean. But basically, what, that, what he's saying is this. Look, Christ has developed within the church different people with different gifts to serve the body of Christ. In other passages of, of Scripture where Paul has written, he talks about not everybody can be the eye of the body. Not everybody can, can be the hand. Not everybody can be the foot. Everybody has to serve a part of the body of Christ and then to make the bride of Christ beautiful. And so what he's saying is this. We, you and I, in order to have that go from unity to maturity, we need to be content in our role of what we do as a church. We need to be content with what we do in our role of the church. Now, whether that be someone out here, here is on stage, maybe singing or playing drums, maybe someone who's serving in the nursery right now, there are people who are ministering to our, our bed babies and our preschoolers and our kids, and they're sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they're, and they're having, using their gifts of those abilities. There are people here who serve in our production team. There are people who, who serve out in the greeting area, in our guest services. There are people who lead small groups. There are people who uh, love to serve on community outreach projects. So you have all of these areas and these different gifts. And Jesus Christ has said, look, I've given you those gifts. And we need to be content with that. We don't need to try to be fighting, well, I want to do this and I want to do that. It's more of, God, what do you want me to do? And so if you want to go from unity to maturity in your, in your faith with Christ, in your relationship with Christ, what you want to do is say, Lord, where do you want me to go? I'll try this. I'll try this. Speak to me. Show me. 
And he will. He will show you, what you how you can serve the body of Christ, what you can do. We've got many opportunities for people to serve here at Lake Point Church, whether it be setting up, setting up chairs, you know, setting up things in here, serving. I mean, I've, I've gone over lots of different things, but we have many areas where you can serve. And a church that meets at a school and sets up a tear down, I'm going to tell you, there's lots of great things you can do. And so I want to encourage you to, um, to serve. You know, many marriages suffer from a lack of maturity in their roles. You know, it's important that a husband and a wife are not only unified, but they, they grow into that maturity of understanding, all right, this is my role, and this is your role, and that role. And that is probably one of the big things that sort of divide marriages, that divide marriages. There's a, uh, there's a book that I go through with um, anybody that I, that I uh, counsel with, a pre-marriage counseling, uh, called uh, The Things I Wish I Would Have Known Before I Got Married. The Things I Wish I Would Have Known Before I Got Married. And it's a great book. It's an easy read. I encourage you to get it. And so in that book, it talks about the different roles that the husband will play and the wife will play. And it's different for, for every marriage. Okay, I know, I know men who, who are married to, uh, to uh, their spouse, and they, um, they do the cooking. Okay, The men do all the cooking. And that's great. That's not me. You know, Suzanne and I are in the, in the uh, clear vision in the past, uh, in, in the, the, the clear um, job description that she cooks the food and I eat the food. Okay? And that's just, you know, I, now I do the dishes. I'll do dishes all day long. I, I'm good with that. But when it comes to cooking the food, I just, I just can't really do that. I, mean, I, I, I can if I have to, I guess. But so there's different roles that I play and different roles that she will play. And it's the same with the bride of Christ. So that's what he talks about, being content in your role there in, in verses uh, 7 through 13. Another sign of maturity is we, we need to be growing in the body. In verse 14 uh, through 16, chapter 4, uh, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching, and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Growing in the body. You know, when we, uh, we go to the gym and we, we spend time in the gym, we understand um, we, we, have, we have changes that are happening in our body, okay? And they should be happening. You know, if you go to the gym a lot and, and, you're, and you're regular at that, your one pack <laughs> becomes a six pack, all right? And that's a good thing, amen, all right? I'm, I'm sort of the one packer, all right? And that's good. I'm getting there. But you're, you're, you see results in the gym by, um, by growing in the body, by developing that. Same way with, the, uh, with marriage. Uh, we, as you work in, those mar- in that marriage and you work things out, you will see that maturity. And the same with, um, with um, the believers. So when we strive towards unity and we are content with our roles... We will see growth in our personal faith and in the faith of the church. We will not be 
identified as weak Christians because we're growing and we see results with that. We're unified, we're content, we're maturing, we're growing, and things are happening. And so that is sort of a natural progression that Paul is talking about with the church. And just like when you go to the gym, you will have a better workout if you don't just go by yourself, unless you're like an amazing, you know, trainer or anything. We got Jason Sweetman in the back, okay? The rock, okay? Jason Sweetman is a guy, Jason Sweetman is a guy who he can work out by himself because he knows everything, and I don't mess with him. He's good. But Jason Sweetman, he's also a person that likes working out. Right? And people, uh, people are trained under Jason Sweetman because he is someone who is accountable to them, and he teaches them. Just like going to the gym makes you uh, better and stronger, and you see results quicker and faster, you will see results better and faster in your faith if you work those out together with other people. That's why small group is huge. Being a part of a small group is huge because you're doing that together. When you are serving alongside others in, on our facility or anywhere in our ministries, when you're do, serving together, you are growing together and you begin seeing results. So don't go by yourself. Don't go to the Christian gym by yourself. Don't try to do this faith walk by yourself. Go with others. So what are some specific action steps to reach unity and maturity as a believer in, in the church? So Paul goes over these things in the next uh, few verses. Uh, so in, in uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17 through 19, he says this. So I tell you this. So that's what the word so. So after saying all this, so I tell you this. And insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. In the futility of their thinking. And, and, and to put this in perspective for us, we don't need to live as those who don't know Christ. We don't need to live as those who are not walking with Christ. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. Instead of being full of Jesus, they're full of greed. So the thing we've got to, an action step we've got to do is we've got to slay sensuality. We've got to slay sensuality. We are not to live like the world who express unrestrained indulgences. Unrestrained indulgences. They're just, they're all about Indulging in the self, indulging in the flesh. So we are not to live like that. We've got to slain those, that uh, sensuality in our life. So that is an action step towards maturity. Another one is verse found in verse 20 through 24. And it says this, that however is not the way of life you learned. That, however, is not the way of life you've learned. When you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with, with the truth that is in Jesus, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to place on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. As believers, we have a new identity. We are be, to be made new by our thinking. He, says, he talks about putting off the old self. 
and putting on the new self. You know, I encourage you to do that every day. When you, when you spend time with the Lord or just when you get up or while you're getting ready, you say, Lord, I, I take myself off. I take my old self and I want to give it to you. And I need you to cover me in your grace, your love, everything you are. And help me to be that new person. We have a new identity in Christ. You say, well, Frank, I've been a Christian for most of my life. I've been a Christian for, since I was six years old. It's a long time. And so, but even then, even now, I'm, I still consider myself a new, have a new identity, a new creation. Why? Because daily, I'm crucifying the flesh and trying to live a life worthy of the calling and of trying to slay sensualities in my life. In, um, in verse 25 through 32, here's another action step. So not only are we, are we able to slay sensuality, not only are we able to, to put on the new self and have that new identity, but we are to watch the treatment of others. In verse uh, 25, it says this, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. So, action steps. Action steps you gotta, you got to say goodbye to those, that sensuality of, of, living, uh, of living a life, of feeding yourself those unrestrained indulgences, just gratifying the desires of the sinful nature. We've got to put on the new self daily. That's not a one-time decision. A one-time decision is, is faith in Jesus Christ. That's all you need, but it's a daily crucifying of the flesh and putting on the new self. And also, y'all, this is huge, the treatment of others, how we treat others. He goes through a long list of, of things that you and I should not be doing. That is how we as a body of Christ are become beautiful. That is how we are matured in our faith. So Paul again in chapter 4, how do we, how do we know that we matter how do we know that we matter? Because we matter to the church. We matter to the church because without you, without you, we'd have a hard time with unity. We need to build one another up in unity. Without you, we cannot move from unity to maturity. Without you. There's so many people, y'all. There's thousands of people who grew up in the church. There are thousands of people, even all around us, who, who if they've accepted Christ as Savior, maybe even be baptized, telling others about their, their decision, and they're not in church. And they should be in church. They should be growing. They should be maturing. The church is affected by them not being here. And so if you are ever in a place where you feel like, man, I... I still need to be around that church. That is a devil talking to you. 
They try to tell you, look, these people, they think of this about you. That is a lie. These people, yeah, well, they don't like you too much because of your past. That is a lie. Because we got to stop looking at what other people will think and start looking at what God thinks. And so you matter to the church because without you, we won't have unity and we will never grow to maturity and take through those action steps. There's a, uh, there's some verses there where it talks about do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. In verse 29, it talks through that. And I've created basically a maturity covenant. And basically, if you take verse uh, uh, 29 to the next part of to the end of that chapter, that right there could be either a prayer or a covenant, a promise that you make to help the church grow in maturity. And it says this, I will not let any unwholesome talk come out of my mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up. I will not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. I will get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with any form of malice. I will be kind and compassionate to everyone and forgiving them, just as Jesus Christ forgave me. You take that, that last part of that chapter four, and you live that, and you can even, you can even read, starting verse 29, read that on a daily basis, and you'll see maturity develop in your heart from the inside out, and how you treat others. You will begin to see that every day, a little bit every day. And so I encourage you, use that as a prayer or use that as a promise and you will see unity happening in the church going to maturity. And Laypoint Church also wanted to tell you this. Because of where we're at as a church and I love where we're at, here's what this means. We've got to fight to protect our unity. We've got to fight to protect the unity of the church because Satan hates what's going on right now in our church. He can't stand it. He can't stand it. So we've got to fight to protect the unity because that's how Satan gets into the church. So Lake Point, I love you. God's going to do some great things in our life as he already has. And as we move forward, we feel like we've got lots of good things coming just around the bend. Some exciting things that God is about to open up. And, uh, but know this, that no matter what you've done in the past, God does have a plan for you and involves this church. So don't let your past dictate how you will be a part of God's plan. Let's pray.